have to do this twice, that just busted me up, man. I was just, I was just back there smiling, laughing, and said, I bet. You know how they taught me how to say all of them names, don't you? Rabbit, 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 because they beget a lot. So you read down through there. But no, um, the, the genealogy is so important. The genealogy proves the humanity of Christ. If you was here with us a few weeks ago when we talked about Noah and the flood and the reason why the flood came, then you will see that, that Satan, ever since Genesis 3 in the garden, when man sinned and fell short and God gave the promise of his son that would come, his entire force was to try to keep that Savior from coming to earth. And he went after the genealogy of Christ. And that's why it's given in Genesis chapter 5 before the flood. And that's why it's given several points. And that's why it's given in Matthew 1 when you crack open the New Testament and you get to the gospel of Jesus Christ, his new will and testament. The first thing that you have, and that's we're going to go there. So if you turn there to follow along, Hold on to it because we're going to be in two places. We're going to be there in Luke 2, real close together. But when you turn there, the genealogy is the first thing because it proves the humanity of Christ all the way up through the lineage that this is God and man in one uniquely born Son of God, as he says in John chapter 3. So, as we get ready this morning, let's bow for a quick word of prayer. Clear your minds, clear your thoughts. Pray for the understanding and wisdom of the scriptures, and then I'll close this out. Fathers, we humbly approach your throne of grace and mercy. We're just so thankful for our Savior. We're going to study about your uniquely born son this morning. Your greatest gift that you ever gave to mankind. And unlike today where we give Christmas gifts every year, you only needed to give it one time because one time was sufficient. Your son tasted death for all of us. And Father, in his birth is where story begins with his walk of life. And we pray, Father, as we study this this morning, that we do so in a way that glorifies and magnifies you and your Son and your Spirit and your Word in this place. And may it dwell within our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about the creation and the fall of Satan who he was, what he was, what happened to him, and why we needed a Savior. It says that when he was created, we harped on that, that Satan was a created being. He is not God. He is not deity. He was created by the hand of God. He is not everywhere at once. He is not all-powerful. But it says that you were, though, perfect in all of the ways of a created being whenever I did. You had beauty. You had wisdom. You were given a high ranking in the heavenly realm, but the scripture said you allowed the abundance of those things to cloud your thinking and to begin to think that you were somebody and that you could exalt yourself above God. 
And then we saw those unfortunate words that was recorded in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 15 where it says that you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created until iniquity was found in your heart. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. You corrupted your thinking, your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. That iniquity that was found in Satan's heart the desires of his own glory, the pursuit of self, started appeasing him and it started rottening his thought processes, his ability to separate right from wrong and to act upon that. And then we saw in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 14, it says, Lucifer said to himself, I will be like the Most High. But yet God in his reply said, No way. You shall be brought down to Sheol. And you know, that's still the danger for you and I today to get caught up in self, get caught up in our things and our thinking, and to forget about the place that we hold in relationship to God. We don't want our thinking to become corrupted in that way. We always talk about Proverbs where it says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And that is who we are. Satan didn't stop with his own demise. He wasn't satisfied with that. What he did was, was then he started coming into this creation of earth and to man that God had created. And he came down here into the garden and he tried to do the same thing with Isha. That's the woman. And he went to Isha and he began saying to her, Did God not say that you can eat of none of the trees? She said, Oh, we can eat of all of them except for one that's in the midst of the garden. And of that tree, we are not supposed to eat of. No, we're not even supposed to touch. That was wrong. God just said, don't ever eat of it. But he did the same thing. You remember Isaiah 14 where he said he would be like God? Listen to what he told the woman in the garden. He said, you will not surely die. God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you eyes will be open and you will be like God. What did he say in Isaiah 14? I want to be like the Most High. The temptation that he used for the woman in the garden was, you can be like the Most High. That is still a problem with all of us today. The Lord, through His Word, tries to help us out in this though. You know what He said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, the very next chapter after that fall? The Lord gave this advice. If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. That is our walk. Sin is always, temptation is always there. It is always desirous to have us. But we have to rule over it with our life and our thinking. Why? Why do we have to conquer it? Because sin, folks, creates a separation. Sin puts up a barrier between man and God. And Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says that your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you that He will not hear. See, that creates a barrier, a wall of separation. God loved us so much that He sent a Son to break down that wall. 
Why did he have to send Jesus for us? Because in Romans 3 and verse 23 it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I ask you, how many does all mean? All of us. All. You, me, everyone who has ever lived. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Isaiah said that creates a separation between us. But then, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. So if all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and wages, you know about wages, that's what you earn every week with a paycheck, isn't it? That means I earned it, I deserved it, and you'd better pay me for it. So what did we earn and what do we deserve? Death. But, you know how we talk about we love the butts of the Bible, right? Here's a big one. Now let's read the whole verse and not just the first half. For the wages of sin is death, but... That's right. No, go ahead. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what? That's what Christmas Eve... Christmas is all about, isn't it? The gift of God. It's all about the gift of God. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Why? Because all had separated themselves. All had sinned. All deserved something different. But God said, no, I am going to do something for you. I'm going to give you a gift through my Son of eternal life. 2 Corinthians 9.15, I love that. As Paul is closing out that chapter, he said... Thanks be to God for His indescribable, His unspeakable gift that He's given to us. The gift of Jesus Christ and eternal life. Now if you would, prepare to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. As we talk about this gift of God that He gave to us. I don't want you to stop and leave you there with what we deserve. I want to go forward and show you what we got because God loved us so much that He gave His uniquely born Son, so that none of us would perish, but all have the hope of eternal life. So, Christmas, and I want you all to relax now. (laughs) I want you all to relax. This is Christmas Eve. We build all of that up so that we can relax as a family. You know what Christmas is about? As you start reading through Matthew, you see that there was Joseph and Mary and a baby coming. You just had a brand new grandbaby. <laughs> but they just had a brand new baby come into the world. You know, it's about family. He talks about God is our father as well, isn't he? He is our father, so we are family when we are in Christ and we are with God. We are family. So let's relax and study together as a family what our father has done for us in meeting the needs of his children. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered in a census. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing in Syria. So all went out to be registered. Everyone went to his own city. So Joseph, he also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, and he went into Judea. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was the house and the lineage of David. He was there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed 
for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. And they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in that same country shepherds that were living out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel said unto them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said now one to another, Wow, let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made it widely known, the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, she kept all of this in her heart and pondered them. And the shepherds returned back glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard, that they had seen, and as it was told unto them. I want to talk about that first Christmas Eve. First Christmas Eve was a time of celebration of the birth of the uniquely born Son of God. God had so moved Caesar Augustus to do a census so that he could number his folks that it fulfilled a prophecy of taking Joseph and Mary to the house of David, their lineage, to be registered. For the scripture said that in Bethlehem of Judea is where he would be born. I find it surprising that the name for Bethlehem is the name for house of bread. That's what it means. Jesus is the bread of life, and the bread of life was born in a city called the swaddling, or called the, 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 the bread, the city of bread. I looked down at my notes about swaddling clothes. That's where we're going next. Last year, we kind of mentioned swaddling clothes. It says that he was wrapped in these swaddling clothes. The actual word there for that, sparganoo, is strips of cloth that are bandages that was used with doctors to wrap up the wounded or the dying or the dead. And so, on that first Christmas Eve, when the babe was born and laid in a manger, already his purpose was being exposed. He was wrapped in death clothes. His purpose was to go to the cross for us. And it was made evident right from the very beginning when he was born. It was symbolic of what was going to happen. Now... When the angel of the Lord appeared to them, they were told, This will be a sign to you. He will be wrapped in those swaddling clothes. That was the sign that was given. The babe was born with a purpose. It was already made evident of his death. Hebrews chapter 2, 
verse 9 and verse 14 and 15 says this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death. And he was crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he was born with a purpose to be right here. Come here, buddy. Come here. Come here. For those of you who don't know, I'll talk loud. This is my little buddy. And sometimes he wants to be with me, don't you? You stay right there. You sit right there and watch me, okay? He came for that express purpose. Crowned with glory that he, by the grace of God, might suffer death for every one of us. Inasmuch as we are all flesh and blood, he himself likewise became flesh and blood, shared the same walk of life that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death over us, that is, the devil, and release those of us who through fear of death and separation from God, all of our lifetime we used to be subject to that fear, now you are released from that fear because of the greatest gift that was given on that first Christmas Eve. He came with that purpose in mind. His suffering, His death, the grace of God. When He screamed out on the cross, you think about it, through all of the night trials, through all of the beatings, the whippings, everything, the scourgings that they did, He never said a word, did He? But when He hung upon the cross, He screamed out, it says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was crying out, as some have mentioned, that separation of God from sin. But he was also crying out because at that point, he was having your sins and my sins laid upon him. And he was suffering and tasting death for every one of us at that point. He was facing what our punishment should have been and it caused him to scream out in that pain. Well, you sat down then, if you're going to stay here. You sat down there, okay? So he tasted all of that for us. That babe that lied in the manger. Now back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. The angels then proclaimed on that first day, same thing for you and I, don't be afraid then. I bring to you good tidings. That's the gospel, the word for the gospel. That's good news. I'm bringing to you good news this day. Joy to the world. Why? Because unto you this day a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Finally, good news. Sin had ruled the world up to this point, but now Jesus had destroyed that. And then, even if you and I didn't understand it, the angels did. Look at verse 13. They began praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. You know what? You were at war and you were an enemy with God because of sin, Romans says. But Christ brought peace. He abolished that so that we are no longer at war, no longer separated, no longer enemies with God. But now we have peace 
through him. He brought peace. God's goodwill is now revealed towards men. And there, lying in that manger in Bethlehem, was the Savior of the world. And if you are one who says, but you don't know me, you don't know what I've done, and it's hard for me to think that God would forgive me, I want you to think again. It says that he came in for all of us to satisfy that peace with God. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you really have the audacity to say, my sins are more powerful than God's grace? I've had folks who've told me that I can't be forgiven. I've done, no. Do you really think that what you can do can outpower what God has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ? All of us have family. All of us are part of a family, and family members we might know of, of things, and you say, how can they, that happen? I can forgive them, but does God? I want you to look at the family of Christ. Let's go to that genealogy of Matthew 1. Turn your Bibles there. I want you to go there because not only is it revealed to us in Matthew 1 that Jesus came through a particular lineage, but Matthew 1 is one of the greatest gospels of grace that there is in the scriptures. I've got a three-hour study on this, but I'm going to spare you. We're only going to do about ten minutes. Matthew 1.1, the beginning of the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's pointed out to the Jews to let them know that God always, always... Go ahead and grab him and and take him up. Take him upstairs. (laughs) It's distracting, folks. This is pointed out to show that God always... (laughs) Always... Keeps his promises. He made a covenant 1900 years before Jesus with Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. He made a covenant with David called the Davidic covenant. And these first two lines of the new will and testament of Jesus Christ is so that we know. That we know assuredly that God always keeps his promise. And then we start to be getting reading. You and I love our relatives don't we? We love our family. And if we knew that if something that we could do could spare them from eternal separation with God, we would try to do that, wouldn't we? We would do the best we could for our mom, our dad, our grandparents, our children, our great-grandparents, whoever. Well, that's what this is. When Jesus was born, he knew who his family was. And I want you to look at his family with me real quick. You think your family is dysfunctional? I think my family is I want you to see the family of Jesus. First, here we go. You've got all of the relatives you get from Abraham, and you go up and you get to Judah, who is who I want to... You get three verses into the New Testament, and we talk about Judah. Look at my great, 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 great grandfather, Jesus said. Here's Judah. You know, his moniker as a savior is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, look at what Judah says. It says here in verse 3, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Well, let me tell you the story of 
his great-great-great-great-grandfather. Judah had three sons, Er, Onan, and Shelah. And it says there in Genesis 38 that his oldest son, he and another family arranged a marriage of Tamar to Er. But Er was evil and done wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Yeah, you can go back and look at, at that in Genesis 38. It says the Lord killed him because he done such wickedness. In those days then, there was no seed raised up. There was no child for that man. So the next brother in line took the wife. And so Tamar was now given to Onan. And Onan was told, you need to raise up seed and heir to your brother through his wife. And that displeased Onan. He didn't want to do that. So what happened was, was whenever they were having relations, that he rolled away from her and expelled his seed upon the ground. And it says that that displeased the Lord. And so the Lord killed Onan. Now, Judah didn't really know and understand what all was going on with this, but he thought maybe Tamar was a little bad luck. And his youngest boy was all he had left. And so he's like, mm, I'm not giving her to him right now. So he said, you go back to your father's house. You go back there and wait with your widow's clothes. And when he is older, I will give him to you. And so she's waiting and waiting. And in the process of time, Judah's wife passes on. And after he has mourned and after he's done all of that, it's time to shear the sheep. And he goes up into Timnah to go into his flock there and to shear the sheep. And it was towed to Tamar. This is some time has passed now and, and Shelah is grown. And he's not been given to her and she realizes that he's not going to keep a promise. And it's told to her that your father-in-law is going to go up and he's going to shear those sheep and he has not gave you the promise. And so she goes out, she takes off her widow garments. She puts on other clothing and puts the veil on her face and goes out by the way. And she did that on purpose. And as Judah walked by, he perceived her to be a harlot. And a note to self I marked in my Bible as I was reading. It does matter what I wear and how I portray myself, doesn't it? So she had taken off clothing that designed her as a widow and had put on something that now portrayed her as a harlot. And Judah is walking by and he is enticed. And he asks if I may be able to have a relationship with you. And she said, what are you going to give me for that? And he says, I'll give you a young goat. And those of us that are here for Samson, goats keep coming into this love triangle stuff all the time. Uh, but... She said, a young goat. And he said, I'll give you one out of the flock after I return from going there. And she said, well, oh, no. I'm not going to just take you at your word. I want a pledge. And he said, well, what is it do you want to pledge that I will come back and pay you for that? She said, I would like to have your signet ring. I would like to have your cord or your bracelet that identifies your family as well. And I would like to have your staff. And then when you bring the goat back, you can have those back. Now that's like giving our credit card, the signet ring, your social security card, and your driver's license. 
it's, it's all of your stuff, okay, and promise that I'm going to come back. So she got all of that. They had relations. He goes on. A little bit later, he tries to come back and he send a friend with a goat. He didn't do it himself, but he sent his friend back with the goat to pay. Nobody was around. He asked, where is the one who is the harlot in the town? And they go, we don't have one of those here. So he goes and tells Judah, and Judah says, well, I don't want to be shamed because of what I've done by going around asking everybody, so let's just drop it. She can keep what she had. Moves on. Three months later, three months later, somebody who likes to gossip a little bit came to him and said, Judah, guess what? Tamar, your ex-daughter-in-law over there, she's played the harlot. And not only that, she's three months pregnant. Oh, he gets irate. She did not do what I told her to. She is not waiting for my son. She is not being the widow that she is supposed to be. He says, let's burn her. Bring her here and we are going to burn Tamar for what she has done. So they go and they get her and they bring her on the way to Judah to be burned. And she tells one of those servants there, she said, Before he comes out, would you take these three items to Judah? You go in there in his tent and you tell him that Tamar says... I am pregnant from the one whose these items belong to. Would you identify them for me, please, so that we can also get the other side of the coin, the other person who is responsible for this mishap to be burned as well? They take them in, and everybody knew what that was. And they laid them before him, and Judah took a look at it, and he said... She's more righteous than I am. And it says that from that point on, he never had another relationship with her. But in the genealogy of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you've got Judah. Through the lineage of him and Tamar and that relationship and Perez, grace of God, he knew he had to come for his relatives. How about the other two brothers that killed an entire city because of what they had done to Dinah, their sister? How about we go down just two more short verses and we get to Salmon, who was sent out on that mission by Joshua to go in to spy, and he sees Rahab, the harlot. And she helps them out, and he ends up coming back and marrying her. And that's not only a harlot, but also someone who is outside the lineage of Israel. That was a no-no. There you go. You go down another verse or two, and you get to David, as the song sang, who beget Solomon by the lady who was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. But Uriah the Hittite was gone at war for David when he looked out and seen Bathsheba and called him to the self and did the same thing that Judah did. And you begin to see that you think your life is messed up. You think that you've done some things wrong. He had, he had Uriah murdered 
so that then he could take his wife to cover up what he had done. And he is called the one that was after God's own heart. You know why? Because he was always penitent. He was always seeking forgiveness when it was presented to him that he had done wrong. But I say to you that Christ came to die for his family, the likes of Judah, the likes of David, the likes of Salmon and Rahab and Tamar. And you know what? You and I as well. That is why we have God's gift on Christmas Eve. And why the New Testament begins with those first words of a genealogy. Because each and every one of us is in that same boat. We needed that gift of God, which was Jesus Christ. That which was within the womb of Tamar was going to be the lineage of Jesus. Judah needed a Savior. We needed a Savior. And I just want you to know that you can't outdo God. The only time that God has a problem with that is whenever you continue to rebel and do it because you want to do it like Satan did. But if you are repentative, he says, I cover everything with my son. That's why he was wrapped in death clothes and laid in a manger and was even born on that Christmas morning. So as our worship team returns, behold, the virgin shall be with child and will bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. That is Jesus, and that word means Savior. So the first Christmas Eve was a night of excitement. We had angels praising God, announcing that the glory of God has come. Joy, and in the city of David is born a Savior. Good news, the shepherds announced it. He was wrapped in his swaddling clothes. The unspeakable gift of God has come. I urge you to unwrap your gift Today, if you have never become a Christian, if you have never received that gift of God, I pray that you do that today, now. Don't let it go. If you have opened that gift, but you've put it up on the shelf and you've left it set there like we do some of our things, it's time to take it back off the shelf and make him your personal savior again. And to repent of those things. And he says, I am faithful and just to forgive you of everything. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And to kind of help your mind prepare this. As we get ready to sing a song of invitation. I want to read you a poem. You know, there was four great days of Jesus. We just talked about the first one, his birth. Second one was his death. The third one was his resurrection for our sins. The fourth one, though, is going to be his return. And that's coming soon. I want you to listen to this, because this is called, you remember, "'Twas the night before Christmas? How about, "'Twas the night before Jesus? "'Twas the night before Jesus came, and all through the house, "'not a creature was praying, no one in the house. "'The Bibles were thrown on a shelf without care, in hopes that Jesus wouldn't see them all there. The children were dressing, getting ready for bed, without ever kneeling or bowing their head. Mom in her rocker, a babe in her lap, 
was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of their east there arose such a clatter that I jumped to my feet to see what was the matter. I ran to the window as quick as a flash. I opened the curtains and I threw up the sash. When what to my wandering eyes did appear? It wasn't reindeer. The angels were proclaiming, Jesus is here. And then a light from the sun sending forth a bright ray. I knew in my heart, this must be the day. The light from his face made me cover my head. Jesus was here just like he had said. And although I had worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life that he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. And he spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said it's not here, I hung my head in shame. The folks whose names had been written with love, he gathered them together to his Father above. With those who were ready, he arose with no sound, while all the rest of us were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long, thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Why, oh why, wasn't I prepared for tonight? So in the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus, folks, is soon drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we will find that the babe was true after all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the babe. Your one and only son that you gave as a gift to us. A gift to wipe away our sins. And Father, we thank you and we praise you and we pray that everyone will receive that gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi.